0: Good morning again, uh, my name is Alex Wright, uh, I'm assistant pastor from New City Fellowship in the Beechwood neighborhood, uh, one of your sister churches, and uh, it's my great pleasure to be with you again this morning as we continue this short series through the book of Habakkuk. Last week, uh, in many ways, Habakkuk was learning the, uh, the lesson that that song Was just teaching us that there is a mystery to God's sovereignty. And Habakkuk is wrestling with that. And he doesn't understand what's going on. Uh, But he is learning, as we learned, that God is at work in a dark world. And this morning, as we continue reading through chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, Uh, Habakkuk continues to wrestle uh, with what God is doing through this evil nation, the nation of Babylon, and also God begins to to answer Habakkuk and to show what's, what's really going on even behind the scenes. So let's read this morning's passage, and if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're beginning in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk says this, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, that is Babylon, as a judgment. And you, a rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong... Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, he drags them out with his net, he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Habakkuk. Lord, it is a book that <clears throat> can be easy to skip, uh, to, to fail to see what you're trying to teach here But, Lord, we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by your Holy Spirit. And so, as we listen, we want to hear in a way that causes us to grow. To grow in our understanding of faith. To grow in our understanding of your ways. Lord, to learn how to live in this world as it is. We want to be people who trust in your promises, even when it seems crazy to the world. Lord, we cannot do this on our own, so we ask that you would be here with us to make it happen. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who is sitting right now interceding for us. We pray it all in his name. Amen. On April 14th, 1912, uh, a very famous ship sank to the bottom of the ocean, uh, the RMS Titanic. It's perhaps the most famous shipwreck in history. A lot of drama happened on that ship. Uh, a lot of opportunities for, for crazy interactions. And, um, but after the, uh, the ship hit the iceberg, it was not clear to most people on the ship that it was sinking. Uh, It would be a couple hours before the ship finally hit the ocean floor. But the officers and the people in charge of the ship knew that it was doomed. And so they had to convince this group of thousands of passengers that their safest place to be was on one of those lifeboats. But if you can imagine, if early on in the sinking, you were, you were asked to get into one of these small creaky boats in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, it would have seemed for a little bit like a safer bet to stay on the ship. It was warm, it was, the lights were on, it was, it was huge, it, was, it seemed safe. But as we know, over time and as the ship began to sink further and further into the ocean, it became clear that they needed to trust those lifeboats, That was their safest bet. And as we're going to see this morning, God is asking each and every one of us to trust in his certain promises. Even when it seems like the way the world operates and even the success of the world seems like a safer bet, a safer place to put your hope and trust. So this morning, the, uh, the idea I want you to take with you Again, to Monday morning, tomorrow morning, is this trust in God's certain promises. Trust in God's certain promises. There are three occasions that we see in this text when we need to trust in God's certain promises. First of all, when it seems like evil is winning, when it seems like evil is winning. Second of all, trust in God's certain promises when those promises seem to take forever. When they seem to take forever. And lastly, trust in God's certain promises when self salvation seems like a safer bet. When self salvation seems like a safer bet. So, first of all, trust in God's certain promises when it seems like evil is winning. First of all, Habakkuk in this passage acknowledges something that had already been revealed to the prophet Jeremiah. He says in verse 12 that, O Lord, you have ordained them, that is Babylon, as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. And what he's saying there, and what had already been revealed earlier, is that God is using this evil nation of Babylon to judge his own people for their sins and for breaking the covenant that God had with them. And so Habakkuk acknowledges this. Uh, He's saying, Lord, I, I recognize that you have ordained Babylon to be a judgment for our nation. But then he goes on and almost to say, yeah, but there's there's still a struggle here. He says, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil, why do you idly look at traitors? And why do you remain silent when the wicked swallows up the righteous? And so what Habakkuk is wrestling with is, first of all, God, how can you use such an evil nation to punish us? And second of all, is Babylon somehow going to get away from from your punishment, God, just because they're an instrument in your hands? And so Habakkuk is continuing to wrestle with this: uh, Is God going to be faithful to His promise to preserve Israel? To Habakkuk, it seems like Babylon, this evil empire, is winning. It's successful in its military conquests. We read from this text that they are enjoying luxurious food. They live in luxury. They can afford a steak dinner every night, whatever fancy food you can think of. And Babylon is so powerful that they're treating these other nations almost like collector's items, kind of like baseball cards. They are objectifying the nations and the people they are conquering. And Habakkuk is recognizing that the, the relative righteousness of Judah, just the fact that Judah has the Torah, has the law of God, is not enough, it seems, to keep them from being attacked by Babylon. If Habakkuk thought that somehow the Torah was a body armor against the, uh, the physical attacks of Babylon, he's realizing that is not the case. Babylon is compared to a fisherman who is, who is gathering all these sorts of fish, uh, and by that he means other nations, into his net. Uh, you know, it almost makes us think of what Jesus calls the disciples in the Gospels, that you will be fishers of men, uh, but instead of Babylon being a, a fisherman who's trying to save people, uh, they are catching fish in order to consume them. To Habakkuk, it seemed like evil was winning. In our world, it often seems like evil is winning. We don't have to go back very far in our, in our memory to, to think about how it seems evil is winning. Pretty much every week, there's another shooting where people of every age and ethnicity are being murdered. Think of the, uh, the cultural divisions in our nation, the families that are being divided by different views, political views. We think of the, the international instability that we see because of Russia and not only the violence that they're wreaking on Ukraine, but also food shortages. In so many ways, we don't have to look far for it to seem like evil is winning. And then even more so, when we turn and look inside our own hearts, not only looking out at the rest of the world, but when we look inside, we can be tempted, even as believers, to wonder, is evil winning? Maybe there's a certain struggle or sin that you keep coming back to over and over again, and maybe you've pleaded with God, God, please, please take this away. But you're still struggling with it. And you're wondering, is, is evil going to win, even in my own heart? Well, if that's you, you're not alone. You're, you're in good company. We just can look through the scriptures and see that all the great saints of, of the scriptures and of history have usually had at least one or two sin struggles that they keep wrestling with. We see Peter's fear of man that keeps coming up over and over. Paul's thorn in the flesh, which some people believe was maybe a sin struggle that Paul had. Or we think of Martin Luther's constant wrestlings with the devil or Charles Spurgeon's depression. You're not alone if you're wondering, is evil going to win in my own heart? When it seems that way, when it seems like evil is winning... Trust in God's certain promises. And as we're going to go on, I, I want to draw attention to that word, seems, right? Because there, there are two ways of looking at the world. There's looking at the world through the lens of all the evil and the sin that we see wreaking havoc in our own lives and in the world. But there's also looking at the world through the promises, the trust that God is asking of his people in this text. So what does this practically mean when evil seems to be winning? What what do you do? Well, we talked about this last week in more depth, but we see here how Habakkuk continues to wrestle with what's going on in this world and trying to to put that together with what he knows of God's character. He says in verse 12, "'Lord, you're, you're from everlasting. Your justice is the only justice that matters.'" He says, we, we shall not die. And what he's, what he's pointing back is, is God's promise to preserve his people. So you see how the way that Habakkuk is, re, is, uh, is dealing with this is he's bringing God's promises to bear on the situation that he's facing. And we have to do the same thing. We, first of all, we have to know what God's promises are. I remember a few weeks ago, our brother Eric talking about that with our church. You know, what are God's promises to his people and then bringing those to bear on what we're struggling with in this life. And so we have to keep, as Habakkuk does, wrestling with this. So first of all, when evil seems to be winning, trusting God's promises. But also, when those promises seem to take forever. They seem to take forever. God promises, and he's going to continue fleshing out this promise as we continue in this series... But basically, what God is promising Habakkuk, beginning in this passage and going forward, is that Babylon is going to face God's judgment for its international crimes. God is not going to let Babylon off the hook for the evil it's it's unleashing on the world. But... It seems in this moment, as as Habakkuk stops and looks at what's happening to his nation, as he looks at what's happening to the rest of the world, it seems like Babylon is going to keep going forever. That's why he asks in verse 17, is Babylon then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And I love how when, when God begins to respond to Habakkuk, don't you love how God acknowledges our experience? You see what he says in, in verse 3. This, this vision, this revelation, this promise I'm giving you, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is, is even uh, graciously acknowledging the fact that when he gives promises in our experience, sometimes it seems like, man, these promises are taking forever. When, when's it gonna happen? But the problem, and the problem, first of all, isn't the fact that, that God hasn't made it clear. He says, write it plain, make it plain on tablets. Uh, so it is, it is clear to, to us. Uh, the problem for us is that we really want timeframes, right? We, we really wanna know, when something's going to happen. Uh, but God doesn't operate like that most of the time. Uh, you know, it, it makes us think of Acts chapter one, right? When, when, the, uh, when Jesus is about to go into heaven and the disciples are saying, God, are, are you going to restore our nation now? Is, is Israel going to be freed from Rome? And Jesus says, you know, it, it's not for you to know when I'm going to do what I'm going to do but you will receive power uh, from on high and you will be my witnesses. See, you see, God doesn't tell us when things are going to happen. What he does is tell us how to live while waiting on his promises. And of course, he says in verse four, the way to live is by faith or another way of saying that is by trusting, by trusting in what I'm saying to you. And of course, when we, a big struggle for us also is that sometimes God's promises can seem pie in the sky, especially when we're going through a lot of pain, or there's a lot of turmoil going on. You know, just 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 remember, go back just two years ago, uh, and just imagine how how ridiculous it would have sounded for someone to say to you. Don't worry. In less than a year, there's going to be a very effective vaccine that's going to take care of this virus, or it's going to be very effective for this virus. Uh, That would have probably seemed crazy to most of us uh, back at that point. Or uh, just imagine someone uh, telling uh, telling the leaders of Great Britain in the summer of 1940 as as Nazi Germany is rampaging across Europe, and it, it seemed as though Britain was going to be invaded. Uh, by the German army, someone saying, just don't, don't worry, in five years, Nazi Germany will be a memory. See, in those moments when we're facing great pain or uncertainty, it seems like those promises can seem just far out there, pie in the sky. And another problem for us is that sometimes we think God has promised us things that he hasn't promised. Something that I struggle with and many of you probably struggle with is, is we, we are tempted to believe in instant sanctification, right? Maybe, maybe you became a Christian later in life and you had this great experience of, of, of experiencing the love of Christ for you, experiencing the, the joy of the Holy Spirit. And it could, it, it, maybe it felt like in that moment, you know, everything's gonna be perfect. I'm gonna be great. I'm totally a different person, uh, and you are, but God has not promised instant sanctification. It's hard because we live in an instant culture. Uh, we, are, we are trained to expect instant results. Uh, but I love what one of my professors in seminary, uh, Dr. Carl Ellis said. He said, God gives us streaming grace. <laughs> and what he meant by that was, you know. Uh, if you're watching something on Netflix or Amazon Prime, you know, it, it doesn't load the whole movie at once. Uh, if you're streaming uh, from one of these services, it just gives you enough for the next minute of the movie. And so in the same way, God gives, gives us streaming grace for the next step and the next step. And that is how sanctification works. Uh, but we struggle, we wonder, we, we, we forget That God has not promised to make us perfect instantly. So, what do we do when it seems like God's promises are taking forever? We trust in God's certain promises. Let let me share with you what this might mean for you on a day to day basis. There's another passage, actually, in the book of Hebrews and the author of the book of hebrews is writing to a group of christians who in many ways are experiencing the same things that habakkuk and judah are experiencing they are wondering uh, as they look at persecu- as they experience persecution from jews um, whether jesus was the real deal whether uh, maybe uh, instead of uh, keeping their faith in Christ, they should start adding things like temple worship uh, or circumcision, things that you know, would, would make them look better in the eyes of the Jews. And this is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So let me ask you this question. Do you have people in your life who, first of all, can grieve with you when you're going through something? but also lovingly exhort you to remember the confidence you have in the Lord Jesus. These friends can be so hard to find, but they are so essential. We need people who can even listen to the dark secrets of our hearts that we wouldn't tell anyone else and who loves you in that moment and also, when, when you are honestly sharing your struggles, whether it's uh, a particular sin, they can say, remember that God has you. Remember his promise to make you more and more like him. He's, He's going to take care of you. Brothers and sisters, we need people like that. We need to be people like that. Who, who know how to lovingly exhort one another to remember the confidence that we have, to remember the certainty of God's promises, to, to, to even know us long enough to say, I've known you for several years and I have seen how God has changed you. And I want you to take courage and to keep going, to remember that confidence. If you don't have one of those people, I, I would ask you, first of all, to pray for them. But, but to keep an eye out, if there, are, if there are people even here in this very room who you can connect with and perhaps form a relationship like that, we need to, to long for and pray for that. So trust in God's certain promises. First of all, when evil seems like it's winning. Trust in God's certain promises. When Lost my place. Trust in God's certain promises when those promises seem to take forever. And last of all, trust in God's certain promises when self-salvation seems like a safer bet. When self-salvation seems like a safer bet. If you look at Babylon's actions just in this whole book and throughout history, Babylon had a lot of confidence in its ability to save itself. It had a lot of confidence in its ability to save itself. And it, it looked like it could make a good argument for it. It had the best food. It had the best armies. It had immense power. I mean, if, if you were Judah, you would have looked at Babylon with intense fear and, and hatred, but also probably with a little envy, right? Babylon is winning, Maybe we need to be more like Babylon. Or, or maybe we need to make friends with someone like Babylon. And if, if you look at other parts of the scriptures, you know this was a constant struggle for Israel. It was, it was constantly tempted to try to be like other nations or to make allies with nations that God had never, God, when God didn't permit that. Nations like Egypt Because to Habakkuk and to Judah, it would have seemed as though Babylon had it made. And, brothers and sisters, we are tempted with the same thing when we look outside to the rest of the world. When it seems like the world that doesn't know God is successful or has it made. But, of course, as we know from this text, and as God is going to continue revealing throughout the rest of the book, This isn't the whole story. Babylon, by its actions, is beginning to sow the seeds of its own destruction. God says here that in verse 4, the beginning of verse 4, his soul, speaking of Babylon, is puffed up. Basically, Babylon is a puffer fish. Uh, He's an animal that's trying to make itself look big, but when you look under the surface, it's just hot air. It's not going to last very long. He, God says in verse five, wine, wine is a traitor. And you might be wondering, why is God talking about wine here? Well, most likely wine is, it's, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's an image for something that in the beginning promises you great confidence, uh, promises you maybe comfort, but in the end, it's going to take everything away from you if it becomes an addiction. And if anyone's addicted, Babylon is addicted to the, the success that it thinks it's finding. And we begin to see here, especially as we look at verse four, why Paul takes this phrase, "The righteous shall live by his faith." Um, this, this verse Paul uses so famously in the beginning of Romans, and we begin to see why. Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, "I am not ashamed of the gospel." For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And as Paul is going to continue to outline through the rest of Romans, there are only two ways to re- there are only two ways to live, trying to save yourself, self-salvation, which is what Babylon is doing by trying to conquer all these other nations, or receiving salvation by faith in Jesus. Those are the only two options. And and we are seeing how even though it looks like Babylon is, is winning, Babylon is is saving itself by its own military might, by uh, conquering other nations. It's beginning to sow the seeds of its own destruction. When self-salvation seems like a better bet, trust in God's certain promises. The righteous shall live by faith. And so, brothers and sisters, this, this means asking yourself, even if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, what are the ways that you are tempted to go back to trying to save yourself? What are the ways that you are tempted to try to save yourself? And there could be a variety of answers. Could be through your work, Could be through, and by the way, these are all good things, and this is why idolatry is so uh, sneaky sometimes, because very good things can become false gods. Could be through your work, could be through your children, could be through being thought of a certain way, maybe checking off the right Christian boxes, you know, having the right Bible, having the right theology books. Just as a side note, I mean, in seminary, uh, it was such a temptation to, to idolize having the right books. You know, it's, it was one of those things where, like, as long as my bookshelf was full or, you know, it looked like I was going to read those books, like, then I was set. Um, but even this week, as I was reflecting on this passage, uh, I can see how my own schedule can become a false god. Uh, busyness, appearing, just the appearance of busyness can be an idol for me. Uh, and uh, it is never enough. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's having a busy schedule for me can seem like uh, it's, it's offering the promise of feeling important, uh, feeling special, um, doing a great job. Uh, but in the end, it always wants more. It's a, it's a, it's a traitor. So ask yourself that question. Where, where am I tempted uh, to, you know, as Paul says in Galatians, what what is begun by the Spirit? Are you trying uh, to to finish through works of the law, or or trying to save yourself? Whatever it could be, ask yourself that question. And lastly we can learn from Habakkuk's example here at the beginning of chapter two. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and look out to see what God will say to me. And as we're, as we're going to continue seeing in Habakkuk, there's a, there's a theme of waiting for the Lord of expectantly waiting for God to show up. And this is something that we, that is so hard to do. Um, because there are so many temptations to, to, try, to fix, try to fix the situation ourselves, But God calls us to wait upon him, to trust that he's going to come through. The only way that we're gonna get through this world uh, and see uh, the kingdom of God is by faith, by living by faith, and not seeking to imitate Babylon and, and, and trying to puff ourselves up into, it's, it's self-salvation. It's not going to last. And of course, we see God's promise to save fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. All of God's promises find their yes and amen in him. And so we, we even have more confidence than Habakkuk uh, did to look back at the cross and see how even through this evil, horrible act, the the murder of God's only son, he has fulfilled his promise to save us. And he's going to remain faithful to that promise for us to the end. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you again for this word this morning. Lord, thank you that you are the one who makes your word effective in our hearts pray, Lord, that if there is anything that needs to be forgotten this morning, uh, you would help my brothers and sisters to forget it. And whatever is, is of you, is of your word, and is of Christ, would stick. And that it would bear fruit in each of our lives this morning. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.